Our text for today comes from Philippians 1, starting in verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains. Because of Christ and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly God, I mean, speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely attending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. Philippians 1, 15-18 And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Jesus Christ because of what he is doing through me. Well, good morning and welcome to Church Online and part of the Clear Creek family. Wherever you're joining us, we love you, we're praying for you, and we are just expecting God's best even in this very weird season we find ourselves. Listen, you're here at a great time because we're in a series on joy from the book to the Philippian church from a man named Paul. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to the New Testament book or letter to the Philippians. While you're doing that, I have a couple things just need you to know about. Number one, next Sunday is Mother's Day. And although we won't gather in person, we're going to celebrate our moms together. And I need your help to do it. Will you please send a photo of your mom along with one reason why your mom is awesome 
to this email address that's on screen. Just send us a picture and why your mom is awesome. If your mom is living, send us a picture. If your mom has already passed on, pick out one of your favorite pictures of her. Maybe you're in it, maybe you're not. doesn't matter, but send it. And we're going to celebrate our moms next week. Now, to make it even more special, we're going to choose one mom that is submitted. And we're going to send that mom a special gift for Mother's Day on your behalf and on behalf of the church. So you need to send us your picture so your mom can be considered. So that's next week. Here's the other thing. I just want to give a huge shout out to my little girl, Emma, because she is turning six years old today. And she's just my buddy. I love her. Uh, She's just got this great, quirky little personality. She'll dress up like a princess, and then she'll come over to me and say, Daddy, do I look nice? I'll say, yes, baby. And she'll go, oh, good. And she'll punch me in the gut. And she's just this great kid. One of the things I love about this girl is how much she loves the water. Uh, She doesn't like taking baths, but she loves playing in the water. And one of her favorite objects during bath time is this little dude, Rubber Ducky. She loves this guy. And who couldn't and who wouldn't love a rubber ducky after all? They float. You can splash them. They still smile at you. They're happy. They are able to go above the waves. One of the great things about a rubber duck is you can push the duck down under the water, but they've got this internal buoyancy that even though they're pressed down, they will pop back up above the water. They do not stay down for long. And I know right now you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with anything, Josh? I'm glad you asked. The picture of a rubber ducky, of this buoyancy, is, I believe, one of the most perfect pictures of the kind of joy that Paul is talking about. And in fact, the letter that Paul writes to the Philippians is, in my estimation, the rubber ducky book of the Bible. It's about this buoyant joy that no matter what happens, no matter what pushes down, even though life is crazy, it's upset, there are storms, the joy he talks about is able to stand above the waves. It is an unsinkable joy. And that's what he's been talking about and what he'll continue to talk about here. He's telling this group of people that joy is available that our king is sovereign, that he controls all, he loves you, he is for you, and even in the midst of pain and difficult times, he is at work. And so Paul says, joy, this unsinkable joy, is available to you. Now, to appreciate this, we have to understand and remember the context. Paul is not writing us from a palace. He's writing us from a prison in the city of Rome. He is Uh, in one of his many prison stays. And along with the prison, he gets a complimentary beating and abuse, and he knows what he's looking forward to. He's most likely at this point beginning to realize that death is awaiting him. Now, he knows he won't be crucified. That was the way the Romans preferred to execute criminals. But Paul was a citizen of Rome and therefore exempt from that punishment. Instead, we know from church history that he will instead be beheaded by the Caesar of that day, Nero. And so he won't die like Jesus or Peter, but he is looking at death in the face. He's in a prison cell. And just kind of wrap your mind around what he is facing. He is stuck in prison. He is facing an uncertain future. 
And he has this sense, though, that God is up to something. Now, he can't be with the churches that he planted, the churches he loves. He has rivals who are popping up all over the place, trying to steal the spotlight. He has this thorn in the flesh. His eyes are going bad, and it gets so bad at one point that he writes to his protege, his young disciple Timothy. He says, hey, buddy, can you bring my coat before winter? Because if you don't, I will freeze this year. That is the context. And my question to you this morning is, if that was your context, what would be your response? Because I'll tell you what Paul does. It is unreal. Literally, it does not make any sense. His response in this moment, are you ready? As we just heard from these young men reading the scriptures a moment before, he says, and so I rejoice. I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Can we just sort of for a moment let our minds and our hearts soak in this idea of joy and rejoicing in the midst of chaos and storms that even in a prison cell, it can be a space where worship breaks out, where God's presence is felt, that joy can overflow even in the midst of circumstances that are not very nice. In fact, let's just do this this morning. I'm just going to ask you to sort of say this after me. I'm going to say a phrase and you just repeat it. Are you ready? Let's say what Paul said. So I rejoice. Very good. This is what Paul says is both available and he is experiencing in this moment. And you say, well, how in the world is it possible. And he says, it comes from three things in this text. He says, this buoyancy, this joy that is unsinkable comes from knowing your purpose, from knowing your people, and from knowing your provider, knowing your purpose, your people, and your provider. First, let's just talk about your purpose. Paul says, I know my purpose. We say, okay, great, Paul, what's your purpose? He says, my purpose is I'm here for them. I'm here for them. You say, well, who's the them? Well, he tells us who the them is in verse 12. He says the them are the prison guards. He says, look, I I did not design for myself to be here, but God in his sovereignty has allowed me to come into this place. And as a result, I don't want you Philippians to be worried about me. Like, oh no, what happens if Paul dies? The movement ends. He says, God has allowed me to be here so that... I can tell the good news of Jesus to people who would never, ever hear it otherwise. People who would never come to church, I get to preach the good news that Jesus saves sinners. He says the entire Praetorian Guard, the elite of the empire, are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is great news. Now, you know how this happened, don't you? See, you, if you were a soldier, would be assigned to guard a prisoner, and every one of the soldiers eventually would be assigned to guard Paul. Now, guarding Paul was not that you stood outside of the cell, but to guard Paul meant that you actually would be handcuffed to him. You would clasp a handcuff on him and then one on yourself, and for the next 8, 10, 12, however many hours of your shift, you are literally attached to Paul. And you know what Paul did in that moment, don't you? He waited for that moment for the handcuff to click and Paul would sort of spin around and go, so have I told you why I'm here? 
Have I told you what brought me to this point? Have I told you about the Damascus Road? Have I told you about Jesus Christ? Have I told you? And for 12 hours, they get to hear Paul's story. You can almost imagine when he gets back to the barracks that night and they begin to swap stories of the prisoners they guarded. Someone says, so who did you guard? And you go, man, I was with the preacher. And they say, oh yeah, you were with Paul, huh? Yeah, man, he was talking about bright lights and Damascus and, and, and this guy named Jesus. And I don't know that I get it all, but he is really on fire about it. See, Paul knew his purpose, that he was not there for himself. He was there for them. He's saying, look, don't you worry about me. I am here for them. In fact, because of what is happening here, not only do the Praetorian Guard know about Jesus, but Paul lets us in on this beautiful secret He gives us a little wink and a nudge in chapter 4 as he is finishing his letter. He will say these words, The brothers who are with me send you greetings in Philippi, especially, pay attention to this, those who belong to Caesar's household. Caesar's household. See, the good news of the gospel came from Paul in prison to these guards, and it went up the chain of influence to the house of Caesar. Now, this is incredible because at the time, the Caesar of the day was a man named Nero. He was a wicked, violent man who hated Christians, so much so that he was known for lighting Christians on fire and using their light to light his nighttime parties. He was a horrible man. And Paul says, because of his presence in this prison cell, members of Nero's household are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't you worry about me. See, all the guards think that, they, that I am locked in here with them, but they don't know that they are locked in here with me. It's this thing, God's promise, that God made at Paul's conversion is now taking place He said, what was the promise? Well, God promised. He said, I'm going to use you, Paul, as my instrument to carry the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles and to the kings and their rulers. And you got to wonder if Paul had this this internal kind of like, well, how's that going to happen? I don't have any sway with these kind of guys. Well, you get sway when you are arrested and put on trial because often the kings and the rulers are the ones who judge very important cases. And Paul, because of this moment, is able to fulfill the purpose for which God put him on this planet to spread the gospel to those who desperately need it and would never come to him. So God sent Paul to them. That is his purpose. I know my purpose, he says. I'm here for them. There's this great little meme that's going around the internet right now. It's an argument between God and the devil about the coronavirus. And I love how it goes. You have the devil. He goes, ha, I closed all the churches. And God says, ha, I opened one in every home. See, God, right now, church, you need to know this. More people are attending our gatherings online than ever before in our physical space. God is at work. So you need to know that your purpose is not dependent on your situation, your circumstances, or what happens to you. And if you want the joy that keeps you above the water and the waves of what's happening, you need to know your purpose. Here's my question. Paul knew his purpose. Do you know yours? Do you know why you're here? Have you settled in your heart the reason for your existence? Here's the reality. Our culture is going to give you plenty of answers to choose from. Our culture is going to say your purpose is to grab as much as you can to have the biggest bank account, the best kids, the brightest future. Or for some, it's not all that. It's just to avoid the bumps of life as much as possible. 
But Paul says, look, I settled in my heart that my purpose, my presence on this planet is for others. I am here for them. I love what I saw a couple weeks ago online. One of our local businesses here, it's the New York Pizza Department. Great pizza off Hicks and Pike. They posted on Facebook, and we knew that they'd been doing this. They've been offering free food for people who cannot afford meals, especially children and others who are dependent on our schools for their daily food. But, but they posted something I thought was incredible. This is what the owner says. He says, It took nine years of being in business to find my calling. Even though I am just finding it now, God already had my plans written out for me. He says this, We will continue to feed those in need free of charge. This is a man who knows his purpose. And when life gets hard, he goes, this is why I am here and I may be in this position where I am today to fulfill the purpose for which God created me. Do you know your purpose, church? And consequently, as a result of Paul knowing his purpose, he says, hey, not only are the guards coming to faith, not only are Nero's family coming to faith, but others are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. People who are afraid before are looking at what's happening going, I can do what Paul's doing. Now, he does say, yeah, there are some who are teaching and preaching the gospel for what they can get out of it for gain. He says, that's happening. And yes, church, even in Rome in the first century, there were tele-evangelists. Now, we didn't call them that because they didn't have TVs, but these were people who were doing what they were doing for what they could get out of it. But Paul doesn't get angry or frustrated. He says, so what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. That's why I'm here, so I don't care why people do it. It's just happening. That's the first thing. If you want a joy that is unsinkable, you need to know your purpose. But here's the reality. Knowing your purpose is not enough because some days are just bad days. Paul, sitting in that prison cell, I know if we were to ask him and interview him, he'd say, yeah, there were days that I'm just hungry, I'm cold, I'm tired, I'm tired of being abused by these guys. It's a bad day, and simply knowing my purpose is not enough. And so he says, what I need in those moments is more than just to know my purpose. In fact, have you noticed that people often do and say things that are not quite wise or good during troubling times? So, for instance, have you ever had a day where you just, you're frustrated, you're stressed out, and it's in those days that you say something you'd never say before, but you let words fly out of your mouth like poisonous darts. And then later you're like, oh, why did I say that? And maybe you go to your spouse or you go to your kids or, or, and you say, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm so embarrassed by that. Or maybe you do something because life is hard and so you respond badly and you're like, oh, I'm so ashamed by what I did. Paul says something very important here. He says, for I hope, verse 20, that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He is saying, I'm here to help, but some days it's hard and I do not want to be ashamed and say something I shouldn't or do something that I shouldn't. I want to have the courage to do the right thing and knowing your purpose is not enough. And so he makes this incredible statement. He says, you need to know your purpose, but you also need to know your people. My purpose is that I'm here for you, but I, I need to know that I've got some people who are here for me. 
And so he says this incredible phrase in verse 19. He tells the church, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, that word deliverance may make you think that he's expecting to get out of prison. That's not what he's saying here at all. Because he is saying in this passage that he, he's often talked about dying. You know, he says, you know, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Or whether I live or I die. And in verse 27, he'll even say to these wonderful Christians, he'll say, hey, look, whatever happens, whatever. He does not expect necessarily to be set free. So when he says, your prayers are for my deliverance. He's not talking about getting out physically. What he is saying is that your prayers empower me in the moments when I am weak, that God somehow uses your prayers to give me strength, to give me hope, to give me perseverance, to give me the the ability to withstand what's going on. So when I'm pressed down, when I'm being pushed under, I can come back. Uh, Paul has an incredibly high view of the people of God. And the prayers that we pray for one another. I don't understand what I'm about to say to you, but it's in Scripture, so I'm going to tell you. The Bible teaches that your prayers, in ways I do not understand, are like a gift to God to others. It's like God is the cosmic UPS. You send the package of care the package of strength, and God gets it to where it is going. In other words, there are days, Paul's like, man, there are days that I just don't have the strength, but when you pray, you have extra strength, and you say, God, be with him. I know you're good. I trust in you. You help Paul, and God takes your strength and gives it to me. There are days when I'm hopeless, and I'm just sad, and I'm depressed, but your hope, your encouragement, and you say, God, be with him, because I know there's hope. I know there's good. I know that you're up to something, and God takes some of your hope, and he gives it to me. He says, if you want unsinkable joy, you need to know your purpose, that I'm here for you. But he says, you also need to know your people, that you're here for me. So second question, do you know your people? Do you have people that you can call on at any time, day or night, and they will pray for you? And even better yet, do you have people that right now will pause and pray for you without you even asking? Because you are going to go through days where your purpose is not enough to keep you afloat. You're going to need people who are praying for you, lending you their strength when you need it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take... One minute, we're going to pause, okay? Right now, in the middle of the message, I know this is the moment where you're going, no, wait a minute. But we're going to pause, and I'm going to give you one minute to pass the peace. We do this every week. Now, very simply, grab your phone, grab your computer, grab a, you know, whatever you need to do. You've got 60 seconds, and I want you right now to text, call, email, whatever you got to do. Throw a brick through someone's window with a note wrapped around it and say, I'm going to pray for you this week. You let them know that. Go ahead. you got 60 seconds.
All right, so did you get a chance to send an I'll pray for you to someone? Because listen, you need people and they need you. We need each other. We need to know our purpose. We need to know our people. There's this great book that came out about 18 years ago by a man named Robert Putnam. And it was one of the definitive books on the sociological implications of relationships. It was called Bowling Alone. And in this book, Robert Putnam did some crazy research on the effects of being connected or disconnected have. In fact, listen to this. He cites research that, most, that the most isolated people are three times more likely to die than relationally connected people. In fact, Putnam said, if you do nothing else, if right now, get this, if you're not in a house church, if you're not connecting with people online right now, that if you will do nothing else but join a house church right now, you cut your chances of dying this year in half. That's why we take house churches and small groups so seriously. In fact, you might say that the motto of our house churches is simply this, join a group or die. We believe in this. And there's some other interesting research that was done where they took a bunch of subjects and they infected them with the virus that creates the common cold. Now, I know right now that is a terrifying thought. And it's a weird piece of research, but people said, yeah, for money, I'll do it. And so they infected a lot of people and they, and they just learned some crazy stuff. They found out, for instance, that people who are relationally connected fight off the virus far better. They are four times less likely to actually get sick. They get sick for a shorter period of time and get this, they produce less mucus than relationally disconnected people. And I wish I could tell you I'm making this up. I'm not. In other words, what it says is relationally disconnected people are more snotty than others. So do you have a people? If you want joy, the joy that does not sink when circumstances hit. You need your purpose. You need people. And the third thing is simply this. You need to know your provider. Paul did. See, in all this, Paul has been talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God sent his son from heaven to earth to rescue us from Satan, sin, and death, to do what you and I could not do. And Paul, in this moment, I can only imagine that his mind races back to the moment when God found him on that dusty road to Damascus where he had murder in his heart. He had a plan to hunt and kill the people of God. And Jesus Christ shows up and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And God meets Paul in that moment. This is why in verse 19, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. What's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. It's yes, through the people of God, but it's through the providence and provision of God. Do you know the provider? Because God showed up in that moment. He spoke to Paul. And what's so interesting is he blinds Paul and Paul has to be led into the city of Damascus where for three days he can't see. And this is such an appropriate thing because for all Paul's life, he had been spiritually blind. And if you are without Jesus Christ, friend, I just got to be honest with you, you are spiritually blind. You cannot see what is true. You cannot navigate the road of life. And so God blinds Paul. And sends to Paul a man named Ananias, a man who loved Jesus, who loves God. And he sends him to Paul and he preaches the good news to Paul. And Paul regains his 
physical sight, scales fall, and Paul receives his spiritual sight. He is saved. And there's this beautiful moment where he is able to see what he once could not see, that the provider came. And so here's the third and final question. Do you know Jesus? Joy is not a goal that we chase after. It is the byproduct of knowing the author of joy. You cannot have joy apart from the one who is in and of himself joy. Do you know Jesus this morning? And I think it's so incredible, before you start to pursue your purpose, before you begin to try to gain people, you've got to find and know with all your heart, do you know Jesus? Do you know the provider for all that you need? Because notice the order of things in Paul's conversion. Before God gave Paul his purpose to go and preach to the Gentiles and the kings, before, Paul, before God sent Ananias, a person to Paul, God himself shows up. The provider came first, the people and the purpose. It's okay for you to have a purpose. It's okay for you to have a people, but you cannot live life with unsinkable joy without knowing the provider of that joy, Jesus Christ himself. There are too many things going to be pushing you down if you want unsinkable joy. You need to know your purpose, your people, and your provider. It's been a joy to visit with you today. I want you to know wherever you are, we love you. And if you need anything, you can reach out to us. There are going to be some next steps on the screen here. We invite you to take your next step. If that's to become a follower of Jesus and you want to know what that means, you let us know. Reach out. If you'd like to stay up to date with what's happening, you can join the emails that go out, whatever it is. We love you, though. We are for you. And more importantly, God himself is for you. May God be with you. Grace and peace this week. Thank you.